And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Green light 3-0 and she's gone! Welcome to the 3-0 Show, part of the Athletic Baseball Show for Thursday, September 22nd. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, Caitlin McGrath back with us again this week. On this episode, we have a new president of baseball operations in Detroit. We'll talk about the future for the Tigers, the changes that are likely to ensue in the months and probably in the years ahead. Since we last spoke to Caitlin, the Blue Jays have closed in on one of the AL wild cards. The entire AL picture is becoming a lot more clear. Aaron Judge hit his 60th home run of the season on Tuesday night. We're recording this sort of midday Wednesday, so he might hit 10 more home runs by the time you get to hear this podcast. That would be pretty amazing if that happened. Uh, We're going to talk about some of the most improved players in this 2022 season because I think when we were putting together our rundown yesterday, one thought we had was that there's been a ton of MVP talk because of Judge and Shohei Otani and sometimes the other players that have done interesting things this year get kind of pushed aside. So we had to make up a bit of an award to uh, put the spotlight on some players we felt really deserved a bit of attention here as the season winds down. But let's begin in Detroit with the big changes. Scott Harris is the new president of baseball operations. They will hire a GM. That was a question that I saw. Everybody was asking Cody Stavenhagen, who covers the Tigers for the Athletic. Yes, they will have a GM, even if they didn't in their structure. They'd still build a team. They'd still play next year. So no need to worry there. Uh, Interesting opening press conference, a lot of quotable uh, things that came from Scott Harris, but the three tenets for the Tigers going forward seem like a pretty good place to start. Acquire, develop, and retain young players. Good idea. Two, create a culture of development. Players should think they can come to Detroit and get better. Good idea. And three, controlling the strike zone on both sides is key to everything. Uh, The best quote, though, I thought from the entire press conference was when Scott Harris said, I'm not sure it's a good idea to share the Giants' perspective of the Tigers' farm system because, as many people know, the Tigers' farm system is not in great shape right now. So, you know, I'll throw this to you first since Scott Harris is coming from the Bay Area, coming from the Giants. So what's the general vibe around Harris taking on this position and, and what do you think he's going to bring beyond the, the three tenants that he outlined for the Tigers going forward? I think he's been well thought of. Uh, you know, through Chicago and San Francisco. Um, And I think his reputation is mostly as a sort of contracts and rules guy, the guy that um, will make sure uh, the negotiations run smoothly for the team on the team side in terms of free agents, in terms of um, what a good value is, where to draw the line in terms of free agent uh, negotiations. I think they've done some good free agent work in San Francisco when he's been there. You think about Carlos Rodon, Jock Peterson, uh, Wilmer Flores, a lot of these uh, kind of incremental, smaller moves. I mean, the Rodon is a bigger move, but you know, they it was also a one-year deal. And uh, they've let uh, sort of other guys go that went for longer deals like Kevin Gossman and so. So I think that is a little bit of a clue as to how he will act when it comes to free agency. And he also dropped a little clue about that um, in the press conference when he said, you know, we just need to make good decisions one by one by one and add them all up uh, over time. And that um, reminds me of kind of the San Francisco process. You know, they're just acquiring guys in waivers. They're, you know, trying to do small free agent deals. They're just trying to make the right decision every time. And I think that's going to be his strength uh, from the rumors that I hear about, um, you know, how he's going to fill out the rest of his staff. I think he's going to bring on people with a real focus on player development and coaching. Um, and that's going to be the other half of, of what he can bring. So he's going to be really good at 
uh, negotiating contracts and free agency, and that that's in, in sort of the business angle, the efficiency angle. That's a little bit of his his background, and I think if he adds. Uh, sort of a Batman uh, or a Robin, you know, that uh, that uh, can be uh, someone that really firms up the player development process in Detroit. I think that'll be uh, when they when he really finds his match and, and becomes really successful. It did seem like player development questions were really starting to become the recurring theme at the end of Alavila's tenure in Detroit. So changing that aspect of the organization is critically important. You know, Caitlin, we had pretty high expectations for the Tigers just as a team on the rise. I don't know how many people believe they were going to be a playoff caliber team in 2022, but I think many people expect them to play meaningful games at least into August, if not into September. Uh, as you've kind of looked at this team over the course of the year, so anything in particular that you think just went horribly wrong that might be bad luck? Do you think there's some actual rebound with the core they have in place? Like how how good does this team actually look compared to what we thought, and and how far away are they from contending again? Yeah, I think the Tigers are um, one of those examples where it's a reminder that development and team rebuilding and team progress isn't always linear. Like there's a a lot of times where you kind of expect a rebuilding team to get better every year as players gain experience, as they sort of reinforce that core group with uh, high caliber players. Obviously, I cover the Blue Jays, so they're a prime example of, honestly, when it mostly goes right for a team, I would say the Blue Jays are in that category right now. There's maybe not completely linear. If you look at, you know, 2019, they were totally rebuilding. And then 2020, they had that weird, obviously weird season for everybody. They made the expanded postseason. And then the next year, they were close, but they didn't make it. So they did make those signings, the George Springers, the Marcus Simeons came in, they were a better team, but they still didn't get over the hump. They still were obviously like uh, missing the postseason just by one game. So they were a lot closer than the Tigers would uh, were this year. But it's still that reminder that it's not automatic that just because you're a rebuilding team and you show some progress, the next year it's going to get even better. And so I think that's what happened with the Tigers this year is that we had all these expectations because last year I remember watching them towards the end of the year and they played the Blue Jays pretty tough. Like uh, the time that they played the Blue Jays, there was one instance where like the Jays at that point were not scoring very well, but the the Tigers were pitching well um, and they, you know, were playing well enough. They were kind of a scrappy bunch. And if, if anything, they sort of reminded you of this year's Orioles where like they were they have a, had, had a good bullpen. Or they have a good bullpen this year like the Orioles. And, you know, they're, they're hitting enough. They have these young, scrappy players and they've kind of played with the chip on their shoulder. They had A.J. Hinch that was like believing in them. And so you really thought like they were going to take a step forward. They made some free agent signings this year. I think the thing that one, they had some weird circumstances happening with them this year. They had a lot of injuries. They didn't see maybe the steps forward from some of their young players that they were expecting. Obviously, injuries played into that as well. But uh, in terms of their young core, you just didn't see them take the step forward necessarily. And again, that's just a, a reminder that young player development, again, isn't linear. It's not automatic that every single year a player is going to get better. There's tons of seasons where young players take a step back. I mean, to some some extent, that's happened a little bit with the Blue Jays this year. Um, They're further along in their careers than some of the Tigers' young players are. But, uh, you know, we see with, like, Bo Bichette and and Vladimir Vladimir Guerrero Jr., like, they've kind of taken steps back, although Bo's had such an incredible month of September that he's probably going to end up having similar numbers, honestly, uh, that he had last year. But certainly Vlad has taken somewhat of a step back, even though that's just a step down to being uh, an excellent player as opposed to being an incredibly excellent player. But yeah, I think Spencer Torkelson is the kind of player he went first, the first overall in a draft. So expectations were, well, he played at three different levels in 2021. He's going to come up to the big leagues this year and he's going to at least hold his own and stay in the big leagues all year. If he's not already just an impact player in year one, but just thinking about Vlad jr. As an example, I think, in the time that I've covered baseball, or at least been an adult following baseball and could understand what was going on in minor league systems, there was as much hype around Vlad Jr. as there's been on any hitting prospect that I have ever seen yeah. as an adult. And when he came in and didn't immediately meet those expectations, people were disappointed because 
their expectations were in the stratosphere and he was just very good instead of elite right away. So it does take time, even for players that we have high expectations for. And again, I'm not saying Torkelson's uh, pedigree or expectations were even in the Vlad Jr. stratosphere. But it's a good reminder. It doesn't happen right away. I mean, Riley Green even missed some time before debuting. He had a foot injury in spring training. He might have been on the opening day roster. That didn't happen. Eduardo Rodriguez, who was one of their big free agent signings, missed a lot of time for a personal matter. There was no way to foresee that. Austin Meadows going through something similar here where he's missed a lot of time this year unexpectedly. Uh, You've had some injuries on top of all that. It's just it's this perfect cocktail of the things that can go wrong really quickly, especially when you build and you've got good young pitching, a lot of their young pitchers have been hurt and will miss mm-hmm. significant time going into 2023 as well. And I think that's part of where the thing that, that makes a lot of sense to me, you don't look at this team and put a timetable on it right now because it, it in that division, it might happen sooner than you expect. But because of some of the issues they're dealing with health-wise that are long-term issues, it might take longer than you want it to if you're a Tigers fan. So I'll kind of throw this question to you first, you know, how many core players do you think the Tigers truly have in their organization right now? Guys that are absolutely uh, key contributors on their next playoff team. There's a bad answer to this. (laughs) Can we have the honest answer? It might be zero. The the names that come to mind uh, are Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson, and both of them showed incredibly kind of obvious flaws that may keep them ever from being uh, top top talents. I mean, uh, Green continued to show holes in his swing and uh, is projected for about a twenty nine percent strikeout rate. The upper echelon of what's acceptable in the league is around 30, 33. So he's right there. So if he can improve his uh, patience and, and not swing as many balls and then, and try to avoid swinging those, those, that hole that he's got, um, you know, he does have athleticism. He does have power. He does look good as a baseball player out in the field. Uh, but like sort of statistically, it doesn't look that amazing. Spencer Torkelson, uh, you know, I think is too much of a push hitter doesn't take advantage of pull power like he should. Right now, the opposite field homer is down twice as much as the pull homer. Um, and he's kind of an opposite field guy uh, with the, with right center power. The power disappeared this year. Uh, maybe it's due to that ball situation, but uh, he didn't really show anything stand out except for maybe max exit velo showing that there's some raw power underneath. So I'll give him one of the two. Um, you know, as taking a step forward next year. And um, and then maybe Baez can be a, a defense first uh, guy as he as his bat declines. Uh, but they're looking for a couple other guys to step forward. And that's where I think coaching is going to be a big aspect of it. Maybe you can coach Green and Torkelson, then you have two. Um, you're still looking for a couple other guys to join the party. Um, you know, but you can also just look at the pitching and I have to say there's probably some failure of pitching coaching going on there. Um, and then on top of it, uh, it's just strange to me culture wise to have two players that left the team and just left the team, like just left. They just left. They left and they said they weren't feeling good and, I don't know. Maybe that's just, you know, it's a bad team and they were having some issues and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, you know, belittle Austin Meadows issues. Like he was saying that he was having some mental health issues and he released a statement about it. Uh, But Eduardo Rodriguez is having the same sort of thing. Is there not a support system in place for these guys? Why did it take this sort of like huge break? Why wasn't there just like a behind the scenes, like, Hey, you know, we can do something for you. We can give you a soft landing. Why did it have to be this whole like, we don't know where Eduardo Rodriguez is. You know, like, remember that? Why did this Austin Meadows thing come out of out of left field? Why did Austin Meadows have to make this statement? You know, why wasn't it just leave Austin alone? AJ can tell you a little bit of something or PR will give you a, a little bit of a leak or something to like, you know, oh, he just needs some time. You know, why does Austin Meadows have to like make a statement? So there's something in the culture there that needs to be fixed. I was going to say, also, I feel like just from like reading 
Cody stuff on them, but also just like following the Jays. Like there's been kind of weird decisions there too, in terms of like, even this year, like they had such a muted trade deadline and like, obviously Alavia is gone now. And so perhaps part of the reason why he's gone is he didn't act enough at the trade deadline, but you know, they had a pretty good bullpen. They had some pieces there that they could have traded. Uh, Jimenez was a guy that I know Jay's fans were like, you know, would have loved to have. And, and he's a guy like, do you, do you, yeah, Soto as well. Like, do you, can, can, A, can you guarantee that they're going to repeat what they've done this year? And B, does it do you any good if they do, if you're not even a competitive team next year? Mm-hmm. Like, why don't you move these guys now when they have a little bit of control, you're going to get something for them. I mean, that's part of team building and progress too, is also acknowledging when you're not, you're not good enough and you've got to reset a little bit or, or pivot a little bit. He was stuck, right? It's like he'd already done the rebuild. If he starts right. rebuilding some more, he's putting the target on his back. So Right. But then it's like also you're then you're just shooting your own team in the foot too yeah, right. if you're like not <laughs> yeah, acting. Yeah. Like so there's just been a lot of weird decisions in Detroit too, and maybe this is the beginning of uh, you know, a different uh, team building style, a different development style, all these types of things will help. But yeah, like if you look at the Tigers over the past couple of years, it's been your head, you're scratching your head a little bit about some of those decisions. And I just remember like, because I think the Tigers were actually in Toronto right ahead of the trade deadline. And we were all expecting there to be maybe some sort of movement, uh, one of those like cross diamond trades. And it didn't happen. And there was like hardly any. And, and the Jays were a good trading partner for the Tigers. Michael Fulmer and maybe yeah. Robbie Grossman, like two yeah, kind of expand. It you know guys who were not going to be there anywhere next year and but you know i do like that he was talking about the strike zone because the tigers have the worst chase rate in baseball and you know part of that is making a poor signing like javi baez which i honestly just think was a poor signing um and uh you know given the way that his kind of play discipline ages um you know i think that Scott is going to be someone that wouldn't make that kind of signing. He's talking about the strike zone and then he knows that they're the worst chasers in baseball. He's going to do something about that. Like, like that's the thing that the giants did. They didn't chase and they tried to barrel. So, you know, he's going to, he's going to try and do that. And he's going to put an emphasis on the coaching staff, which is something that San Francisco did. So, um, I would expect to see some, some real coaching staff hires. And like I said, a, a player development, uh, GM, uh, if that makes sense. All right, so we've got expanded playoff fields. We've got the Tigers playing in a weak AL Central. We've got a franchise that, under the late Mike Illich, would actually spend a lot when they were competitive. We don't know if Christopher Illich follows that. Mm-hmm. But I think I think compared to the other teams in the division, they'll spend just as much as anybody else they're, they're playing against, and possibly a lot more. Eventually, ne- after next season, the Miguel Cabrera contract winds down. So that opens up a, a sizable amount of AAV under whatever predetermined limits they have of themselves so there there could be some big changes and i know know you didn't like the Baez contract when it happened you know i think if you need a little reason to continue to be optimistic as a tigers fan consider that the padres before becoming this version of the padres signed eric hosmer to that big deal and everyone said why did they do that and they still they've still ascended to this level of you know seemingly a perennial contender for the next little while at least so when do you think this Tigers team plays a postseason game again, Caitlin. What year is it going to be when we're talking about the Tigers playing meaningful October games again? Honestly, the the best you know advantage for the Tigers is the fact that they play in the AL Central, and that it is still an extremely winnable division. I would say uh, the other teams. I mean, maybe Chicago doesn't have such a strange up and down year next year you know maybe they play to their true talent uh that's probably a good bet but certainly you still look at the central and there's so many question marks the cleveland guardians they're such a young team that again they could reasonably take a step back because again like we said earlier these things don't always go in an upward trajectory very smoothly um the tigers are kind of i'm sorry the uh, twins are kind of a I don't know, a, a confusing team to understand right now. I don't quite under, I saw them earlier this year and thought, yeah, this team is pretty good. Like they had a lot of, they hit a lot of balls. They hit a lot of home runs. They, they have a pretty good lineup. So I don't totally understand what's going on with the twins other than yeah, the pitching hasn't been good enough and they've kind of been bad at the worst time of the year. But 
I think the Tigers, like, there's still pieces there. I, I think, obviously, there's some work to be done. Um, like you guys talked about, maybe there's not as many core pieces there than they thought. There's probably a lot of work to do on the pitching side because, again, some of those injuries to their young players will spill into next season. So you'd think they need to make a couple significant or significant-ish signings um, to shore up that rotation. The bullpen has been good for them this year, and bullpen's usually an easy area to fix. The offense is really bad, though. Like, they, beyond, like Eno was saying, that, uh, you know, they swing and miss a lot, they chase a lot, they don't score a runs I think they're among the worst offense in baseball if not the worst offense in baseball certainly one of the worst in the American League they just don't score runs they don't played a lot of guys I don't think they hit a lot of home runs they just don't do a lot of that well and that's how you score in the majors right now is often like hitting a lot of home runs hitting the ball really hard like you know putting the ball in play all these types of things that they're not very good at doing so that is going to take a lot of work as you guys said like it could be coaching it could be adding new players it could be you know changing guys approach or swing or whatever it may be but that's going to take a lot of work because I think uh, you know pitching they always say pitching wins games but I think offense is a huge indicator of success for a team so uh, that to me is maybe a huge question mark but again like the central is probably going to remain the central next year I'm not convinced that there's anyone that's a huge favorite in that division I think it would again be probably Chicago next year but with a huge question mark beside that so there's a chance for them I think yeah, it's really interesting in that division because, as you mentioned, like Chicago, you know, they their player development is is not well thought of, and um, they have to make some changes in their coaching staff, or, or maybe it's already been made, but you know, they they have some issues with chasing, and they have some poor approaches at the plate too. Like I just watched the White Sox last night, and I I don't know how they scored as many runs as they did because every guy got up there and was swinging at everything. Um, and the Guardians have like a really cool like approach, but their offense hasn't been good. You know, like it's cool. Like I love it. They don't strike out. They hit a bunch of singles, but you know, it also is prone to just going fallow for for like a month at a time. And they get they get held afloat by their pitching, but it, it, they're gettable. You know, especially for a team that might spend more than them. So, you know, I'm the king of wafflers, so I'm going to put together the Tigers' plan for contention. In 2024, they will have only Austin Meadows uh, as their core. They'll have Austin Meadows, Javi Baez, Eduardo Rodriguez, um, you know, uh, uh, Scooble, Mize uh, on the pitching staff, and uh, Torkelson and Green, right? So that, that'll be their team. Let's say one of Green and Torkelson steps forward and becomes like a legit star, like a young, not like a superstar, and doesn't have to be, but like a legit, you know, front, like third hitter, right? That's totally possible. Torkelson or Green could do that. Maybe both. I'm not going to give you both. But uh, you have what you have are your veterans, your Baez and Eduardo Rodriguez, veterans that are, you know, you know, slide down the lineup and slide down the rotation as the other team players get better around them, but are still there. So you have like a team. By the way, the 2024 Tigers will only have about $50 million of payroll. Um, so even given pre- previous spending, this year's 135, they may have by then 60, 70 million dollars to spend on free agents. You know, when when they do that is up to them. They're going to do the Scott Harris thing where they they pounce on something that makes sense. I think they bring in the the fences in right center where uh, that makes that much more of a pitcher's park than almost any other part of the park. It's right center. Everything dies. So I would bring in the fences there. They've done that. They did that in San Francisco to to make it a more attractive place for for hitters to sign. So they bring in the fences. They start, you know, catching some older guys like a Jock Peterson, right? You know, you start catching some older DH types and supplanting, you know, Miguel will be gone and they'll, they'll they'll have more flexibility in the roster. Then, you know, they they improve their pitching coaching. I'm saying 25 or 26, you, you'll get uh, postseason. I don't know if, like, we're talking about World Series, but 25, 26, they'll be a wild card. I think they could sniff the postseason in 2024. I think they could be an Orioles of this year, a Mariners of 2021 sort of team two years from now. I actually think that's possible because we listed all the different injuries and all the weird mm-hmm. stuff that's happened to them this year. A lot of those players Suppose are still going to be there. Just went better. Just went right. It was the same team and it was went right. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't look at this roster at the beginning of the year and say absolute dumpster fire. 
that's not the state of the Tigers. I think this is going to prove to be a pretty good hire and actually a team that does start to take those steps forward here in the reasonably near future. And they're making the steps, right? Like, think about the Royals. Like, we just had a piece. We've had two pieces this year that have been like Royals pitching development absolute dumpster fire <laughs> like really <laughs> well, that's what the pieces have, have shown me and what are they doing about it and they just extended their gm you know they're just like no you know we've got some hitters we'll figure it out whereas the tigers are like no we have a legitimate problem and we're gonna we're gonna actually do something about it so looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service anytime sounds like a real game changer if you ask us make the right call and get the service you deserve with discover limitations apply see terms at discover.com slash credit card Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So we're going to move on to the story that probably let off <laughs> most podcasts in the last 24 hours. But we do things differently here. There are 30 teams in this league, and we like to it's try and news. talk about all Aaron of them. Judge is good. Aaron Judge is very good. Aaron Judge is <laughs> Hit ball almost far. certainly going to win the MVP. And it's just the question of how many home runs will he finish the regular season with? And we talked about this a little bit on Rates and Barrels, where... This is a historically great Aaron Judge season. I think people are fully appreciating it, fully appreciating it for what it is. And it does, for me, kind of bring back memories of watching Maguire versus Sosa in 1998. And I started to wonder, too, if part of what enthralled us about that season was it was two guys going back and forth. It was, it was, like, it was like a head-to-head battle to break this record that seemed unreachable for so long. Obviously, the context of how they did it is sad in hindsight. But this was a part of baseball history before everybody was watching everything online all the time where they would cut in on, at least in America, Caitlin, maybe it was different for you where you were, but they would cut in on Fox, a regular Fox to show you what was happening in the home run race. There were weeknight nationally wow. televised games. So you could watch, I don't, watch Cardinals, I don't remember watch Cubs. watching the Simpsons and like they just cut in. <laughs> I remember sitting in the living room with my family. I was the oldest of three. All five of us, we're sitting there. I was a teenager. I was in high school at the time watching the home run chase. And I can't remember a time in the 20 plus years since then where my family sat around and watched non-Brewers games together like that. Right. We'd watch mm-hmm. the Brewers together like on a random day, but we wouldn't just watch baseball like that. And I think people of all ages are kind of having an experience like that right now with Aaron Judge, where they're kind of stopping in awe and saying, this is absolutely incredible, especially in the context of what this season has been, where there's been a downturn in power league-wide. So, Caitlin, I'm just kind of curious, what you know, what are your thoughts about this as, as just from a, the broader historical sense? And, and have, you, have you had a chance to fully appreciate it as someone that has to cover a different team in the division? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that the Blue Jays necessarily appreciate all those home runs Aaron Judge is hitting, but um, it was funny, though. Yesterday, like, I was watching the Jays game on TV, and it ended, that crazy game in Philadelphia, and uh, the our, like, sports net, like, c- cut to the Yankees game, and it was basically the ninth, I think, and it was just as Aaron Judge was coming up. And he hit the home run. And then obviously the Yankees came back to win. And I remember being like, oh, I'm I'm so glad that I actually sat here watching it to see 60. Because even though like I watch so much baseball and there's so much happening and I see a lot of things, it still was that I still had that feeling of like, oh, wow, I'm actually glad I was sitting here watching it because I appreciate that I saw him hit 60. And and Yankee Stadium, it's it was great to see that level of you know excitement and, and fandom from them I'm, I'm glad it happened there because actually the Yankees are in Toronto um this coming week and there was some talk earlier like oh maybe he'll be in Toronto and hitting like 60 61 like I don't think that's going to happen now because there's enough games between now and Monday that I think he'll probably get 61 um especially facing the Pirates um but uh like 
yeah, it's funny. Like there's there's kind of rare times where I get taken aback and uh, sort of appreciate baseball moments. Um, but certainly that was one of them where I was like, I'm really glad I was watching because it's just cool to see. I And I remember last year, actually, I was lucky that um, Miguel Cabrera hit number... F- 500? And he hit it in Toronto. And I remember being like, oh, I'm glad I was here for that. But so sometimes that happens where... Uh, and I'm sure like, you know, it's like with Katie Wu covering Albert Pujols it's like yeah you cover him you're doing your job but then also sometimes you sit back and you just are like I'm really glad I get to watch this yeah that's cool I remember I was in the fans uh I was in the in the in the seats for uh Barry Bonds 62nd uh that year when he hit 73 and uh it was pretty crazy you know uh it's funny memory though I I hate to be wrong. Somebody's going to be like, he wasn't in San Francisco for 67. <laughs> like, it could have been 63rd or 64th. I mean, I was young. I was in college, you know. I'd hate to have gotten that wrong. But I, it was it was a big one of the big milestone ones that year. And I saw him in his prime. It's just interesting to think back to seeing Barry in his prime and seeing Judge now. Um, and I think even then, uh, there was a sense of the kind of asterisks or whatever um, and it's nice to kind of have one that doesn't have a little bit of a cloud over it. You know, no matter, I still think Barry's the best hitter ever in the history of baseball. Um, even with those clouds and those asterisks, but I, I, I can't say that I, that I just look past them or that I, you know, like they affect me as much as anybody, you know, expect maybe even more. Cause I was, you know, such a, I was a giants fan back then, you know? Um, so it was kind of, it did was sullied. And if you kind of look at the list of home runs ahead of judge, you have to admit that like, there's a lot of asterisks about, you know, a lot of the guys ahead of him. So it's kind of fun to see someone right now where the ball is dead. So you can't be like, well, it's a 2019 juice ball, you know, uh, we've got a fully integrated baseball, you know, so it's not, you know, oh, but they didn't allow, you know, this type of people in. Um, and it's not in the middle of, uh, you know, late nineties, early thousands when we were pre, uh, pre-testing program. Um, so, you know, it kind of, I, I don't want to say, I'm not, I'm not going to go all the way and say that Barry's record is illegitimate and this is the new record. I don't, I, I don't, I don't feel that's true either, but it is, uh, kind of cool to see Aaron Judge doing it, uh, presumably without these asterisks above his head. Yeah, it's just you have that certain feeling every once in a while. It seems like every 10, 20 years you see players that come around that have seasons like this and you feel like no one can get them out. And I realize Aaron Judge struck out earlier in the game and with the bases loaded in a key spot. It was John Carlos Stanton that hit the walk-off grand slam, but uh, all that is to say like you just you have that sort of elevated expectation, this superhero sort of expectation for a player every time that he steps into the box and that's just a cool thing to have cuz I think even as an adult that kind of pulls you back into the, the childhood enjoyment of the game. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I loved about Barry. And 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 before that when I was in Atlanta, like I just thought Chipper Jones like anytime he's up it's either a walk or he does something good. Like and the walk is good, you know? Like it was it was like the the idea that something bad would happen was just not you were just like here it is. He's going to win the game. He's going to do the thing. Uh, and that's so awesome. And then when they do it, you're just like, yeah, I told you. <laughs> the best feeling in uh, sports fandom is the I told you feeling yeah. after something goes right. <laughs> Let's get to the AL playoff picture, specifically Jays really closing in on the wild card. I think the last time we spoke to you, Caitlin, the, the lingering concern was that the Jays had a lot of matchups with the Orioles. So if the Orioles played them well, the Orioles could legitimately put themselves in a position. And they're not out of it mathematically, but it just seems like the Jays have done enough to take care of business, had that wild 18-11 win over the Phillies on Tuesday night. Remaining schedule is pretty tough. At Tampa for three, they get the Yankees at home for three, Red Sox at home for three, and I think they go back to Baltimore for three more. And I think there's something I've noticed about, about all of you as beat writers that you end up on the receiving end of, of fan venting. Like you, you're the, you're a therapist, even though you, you're not getting paid to be a therapist, people dump all of their team related baggage on you. And I'm just curious, as you've watched this team throughout the season, do you think the fans are rightfully concerned about any aspects of this club in particular? Are there recurring gripes that you receive as the Jays beat writer that you actually say, yeah, this this is a concern. This is a potential problem once we get to the point where they're in the postseason. 
I think the biggest um, thing with the Jays this year has been their unevenness in that sometimes they do look like a serious World Series contender. Um, and then sometimes they just it's not coming together for them at all, whether it be because their pitching isn't clicking, their offense isn't, offense isn't clicking. They've had a lot of times this year where one is working and the other isn't. You know, they're pitching really well, but then they just can't score a run. And you're like, how is this? team as stacked as they are not able to score runs and then you see them score runs and then all of a sudden you know Barrios will have a bad start or Gosman will have a bad start so there's been a lot of that this year where it's like they just it was not coming together and it was hard to figure out why and I think this month though it has been coming together I would say like they've been playing really well in September they have a really good record in September you talk about tough schedule they've handled it really well um they have won more games than the Orioles head to head this year um, they handled those series really well they just won the series in at home against Tampa it was a five ga- five games in four days and they won three of them so they've done good job handling like the assignments this year I would say um, the, you know they just recently took two or three against the Orioles they didn't sweep them they had the chance to sweep them and then the rarity of Jordan Romano blowing a save which he's never done at the Rogers Center so you kind of just throw that one away okay you know he he was due a bad one and then yeah they go into Philadelphia and maybe the timing of them in Philadelphia is good for them because the Phillies are kind of having their own offensive struggles although they scored they scored 11 (laughs) runs and still lost yesterday which is kind of sad but um that I think the Blue Jays I would say if fans are worried, it would probably be that inconsistency or that unevenness cropping up again in the postseason. And again, it's like a three-game series. And we've seen the Blue Jays like not be able to score over three games. They got swept by the Angels um, last month. And you know, one game was against Shohei Otani. So you're kind of like, okay, well, you can throw that one out. And, and Alec Manoa pitched really well in that start. And it was a really good pitcher's duel. And the Jays just couldn't score. Um, but yeah, they were heavily outscored by the Angels over three games. And like, yeah, on paper, the Jays probably match up favorably against both the Rays and the Mariners, who are probably going to be the other wildcard teams. Um, but and even Cleveland, I guess, if you're assuming that they're going to be the central winner, um, the Jays match up well against any of those teams. But over three games, a, a three game series, it's totally possible that they just all of a sudden won't be able to score. Um, you know, this month in particular, they've been relying so much on Bo. Um, he's been driving in a ton. Now you're seeing other guys kind of turn it on a little bit. Danny Jansen's been hitting well lately. Teoscar Hernandez had a good game yesterday. Vladdy is showing signs that he's getting there. There's a little bit more ball balls in the air from him. Springer's looked better lately. So maybe it is coming together all at the right time, but I would say the biggest worry, and it's probably legitimate, is this, like that unevenness that they've shown um, signs of this year. Yeah, I think that's a that's a symptom of a lot of teams, though. I think mm-hmm. that's just the nature of, of baseball. It's the, the downside of 162, or the upside, depending on your perspective, that anyone can go through stretches like that. Because when you take a step back and you look at how this team is built, the thing that's always stood out to us since this team became as good as it's been for the last two-ish years now, it's the damage they do. It's that they're one of the league's best offenses, but they don't strike out. That's mm-hmm. that's such a that's such a great trait to have up and down your roster. And we talked about some of their strengths, I think, the last time we spoke to you. And I guess the the other player, the only player that I see on this roster that I'm like really wondering about is Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Where'd the power go? This is really bizarre. He's got five homers this season in 121 games, popped 21 a year ago, popped 20 back in in 2019. That was just over 84 games. I know you're the rabbit ball, but that's a massive drop off in power to have five in 121 games. So, you know, seeing this team on a day to day basis, is there anything you've noticed that explains where that power has gone? Well, he's also become a kind of a different hitter. Um, if you look at other, like he's he's not hitting as much home runs, but he's doing other things well. He's not chasing as much. He's I think he's walking more. He's striking out less. He's putting the ball in play a ton. I think he's close to, or for a while there, he was close to hitting um, 300 or his average hovering around then. If anything, he's kind of looking more like his brother mm-hmm. in the sense of how Yuli just puts the ball in play, hits a bunch of singles, goes the other way, um, you know, has good plate discipline for the most part. Like, like Lourdes looks like he's made some adjustments and he's almost looking more like his brother. I'm not sure that he's tried to do that. I think he's tried to have a better approach. I think he's tried to make better decisions at the plate, not chase as much. And he's got such sort of like long limbs and he's got such a, 
a swing that covers so much of the plate that he actually can get to a lot of balls that maybe other players can't get to and can put good swings on them. Um, But he's still making those good decisions. And I think that it's just been a symptom of that, I think. And And maybe like once he kind of adjust to that adjustment or that's the player he becomes maybe the home runs come back a little bit you know as he gets more comfortable with this approach but the what I've seen from him this year and he's been injured lately so we haven't seen him in a little bit but it's just been like yeah he's come become more of like a singles like slap style hitter like he's just putting the ball in play a ton and yeah you kind of I, I don't know it, it is a okay trade-off I think for the Jays because if anything he's actually a more useful that's a more useful type of hitter for the Jays right now because they have enough guys that hit for power. They have, you know, Springer can hit for power. Bo can still hit for power. He's kind of found that stroke. Vlad, obviously, Teoscar Hernandez, obviously, Matt Chapman, Chapman hits a ton of home runs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if anything, it's actually more beneficial if the Jays have a guy like Lourdes who's actually more in, more similar to his what his brother does and that he just, like, you know, gets on base, puts the ball in play, takes his walks when they come and doesn't strike out and and has those good sees a lot of pitches that's also helpful too I think before he was prone to sort of just swing at everything now you're seeing him like a lot better decisions at the plate the home runs have come down but I think the trade-off has been worth it for him you know one thing that's interesting to me is that if you look over the last month basically they've got eight hitters that have been league average or better I mean BGO's close 93 wrc plus i know there's no average there but because he walks so much it's pretty close teoscar's not had the greatest month but it's around league average and then you have this collection of guys that they kind of need to step forward to really make it a full nine and maybe maybe they need two guys out of there if you if you don't believe in bgo and that group is top tapia espinal guriel merrifield um and they haven't been getting it out of the last month, uh, but I think you're right to point out that Gurriel makes this contact because so does Espinal and so does Tapia. And I think, in fact, part of the reason why, and maybe it didn't work out, uh, but part of the reason why they traded for Tapia was, you know, defense and center field and uh, this contact ability. And we know that contact ability makes more of a difference when you get to the postseason. So at the very least, their worst hitters, I think we said this about the Mariners recently too, at least their worst hitters make a lot of contact, you know? And in any given three-game stretch, they could be the reason they could put the ball in play that drives in the runs that wins the game. Um, and it's less likely that they just strike out three times in a game and hand you that that golden sombrero. So... Um, you know, I, I, I think it's a good lineup. The one thing that, that kind of occurs to me that this is not original or anything, but it just occurs to me again, looking at this, who's their lefty hitter, their best lefty hitter. Do they have any like, like left-handed hitters? Yeah. You mean? Tapia Biggio. Biggio is a switch. Yeah, they're a right? very right-handed team. Um, Bradley Zimmer, uh, <laughs> and Jackie Bradley Jr. Right. It's uh, it's not a fearsome group of lefties. No, but they they have these weird they have this weird tendency where like they crush right-handed hitting this anyway. year and they they in any way and they they actually don't hit lefties really well, which is weird because they are a completely right-handed lineup. I was talking to a hitter about this, JD Davis, who's like a righty who has reverse splits, and he said, you know, and I've seen I'm watching my kids play little league. There are very few lefties. You know, by the time you get to the big leagues, a righty has seen a million righties. Um, and so they've probably, if they can make it in the big leagues, they can hit righties. You know, mm-hmm. uh, But a lefty who makes it to the big leagues may not have seen as many lefties. You know, just by the mm-hmm. numbers has not seen it and didn't see it in Little League and didn't maybe see it in college as much. There's just not as many lefties. So, um, you know, maybe it's not that big a deal. I, I do remember playing in Little League way, way back in the day. We had two, like, two left-handed pitchers. <laughs> Everybody move over. <laughs> I was a right-handed hitter, and the like two lefty pitchers, I, I couldn't hit them. You couldn't even see them. If I could have had you know 10 at-bats against them in a game, I would have been fine eventually because it wasn't <laughs> like they were throwing hard. They weren't, they weren't throwing filth. It just comes out of the hand different, takes a minute to pick it up, and... Yeah, so I think that that all checks out. <laughs> yeah, to, to be a righty in the big leagues, you saw so many righties, you were you were filtered out if you couldn't handle same-handed pitching. You didn't make mm-hmm. it. You you got weeded out somewhere along the way. 
Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra-soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB Show. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's get to our most improved players in 2022. There's so many ways you could do this. You can talk about individual skills. You could talk about year-to-year war risers. Uh, I'm curious from a process perspective, you know, what do you care about more? The actual result or the, the underlying improvement that might be supporting that change? That's a great question. I mean... I also I don't want necessarily someone who was great and got greater. Uh, because if you look at the war to war change and leaderboards, it's Aaron Judge is number one. <laughs> I think yep. he might get some other hardware. So I don't think you you know usually the guy who wins the MVP is going to be on this board somewhere. Uh, but then you get a collection of guys who were injured last year or guys that were weren't weren't good last year, and then sometimes you get they weren't good last year because they were injured. So, like, Alex Bregman is the fifth biggest riser on the on the hitter side. He had a big, like, he's a, like a, a golf ball or at least a, you know, a big cyst on his wrist that he got removed in the offseason. And he feels a lot better. And that's a big source of why he's better this year. I think Jeff McNeil uh, was hurt much of last year. He's third. Uh, I even think Eugenio Suarez was hurt for a lot of last year. Uh, and he's second. So... You know, it's I kind of want to say that I want a guy who wasn't just hurt last year, but then that's so interlaced with production, right? It's like a lot of the guys who were bad last year and are good this year were had like underlying injuries that they were dealing with. Okay. No, this this makes sense though. No, because I think the injured players would be eligible for something like comeback player of the year or rebound player of the year because they were good before. Ah, Alex Bregman was a very so good player we're, before. We're parsing the word value in MVP. <laughs> we're just trying to we're trying to hand out more trophies. The yeah. world is, is happier when there are more trophies, more awards to argue. So is about. Alex Bregman a comeback player of the year or a most improved? He's he's a comeback. Yes. So most improved, what you want is like a younger guy who took a step forward. I think so. Does that bear with you, Caitlin? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if I was. Or not even just like a younger player, but also like a player that could have just been average his whole career and then finally like puts it all together. Like sometimes those are like those late bloomers, right? Like in the history of, um, you know, Jays, it's like Jose Bautista. You hold him up as one of those guys where it's like, mm. you know, he finally got the playing time. He, he made this adjustment with his swing and just like leaned into obviously the the pull side power that he had and he just became this incredible home run hitter um, in a different era, but still like, uh, so yeah, I think that it's either a young player like making that adjustment or it all coming together or it's someone that's kind of a late bloomer type. Like on the Jays, for example, it's pitching, but you look at Ross Stripling, like he's Mm. probably a good candidate for most improved and like maybe part of it is just not 
getting the runway opportunity in years past. I know with the Dodgers, he was really good, but the Dodgers just had so many pitchers that it was like he always was that swing man because that's the only way he fit in. And even with the Jays for the first little bit, he was again just that guy that like swung between the bullpen and the rotation. And this year, he's kind of been a key guy for them when Hunjin Ryu went down. Um, he got this basically this year-long runway if he wanted it um, to be there, be one of their starting pitchers. And he has run with it. Obviously, now he's coming off his worst start um, of the season against the Phillies. But before that, he's been really great. I think it had been like 16 straight starts or something where he had allowed three earned runs or less. Um, he's, you know, hasn't been pitching deep necessarily. The Blue Jays have been kind of using him. But I think to his benefit, honestly, because he's in a... In a um, uh, he'll be a free agent, I guess, after the season. So it's contract year for him. And this came at a good time. Um, probably earned himself uh, maybe a decent paycheck, honestly, perhaps even a, a discussion about a qualifying offer. But yeah, I would like pick him as the most improved, I guess, on the Jays because, you know, he he had the pieces, but it's all come together for him this year. It's, I think Stripling is really interesting too, because you know, you we kind of had like to to talk about something being most improved. You had to have an idea of what they were before and what they were after. So you kind of have to have pretty good sample on both sides. Like for example, Spencer Strider is number one in in WAR improvement over last year. We got like three innings or something. <laughs> How many innings yeah. did we got from last year? Didn't have any sort of season to compare it to. Even Alec Manoa, who would also right. be improved, he spent more time in the big leagues this year, so it doesn't necessarily fit him perfectly, even though he is better this year. I, I like this one. I think a lot of the narrative comes together. Kyle Wright. Kyle Wright's a great call for that. Yeah. We were like, it, but it's really borderline. Like, do we, did we know? I think Kyle Wright is much better this year. And you can look under the hood and say, uh, you know, like, oh, he did this. He switched his, his fastball. He's, he's pitching differently, blah, 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 blah. Before this year, he had 70 innings. So maybe we just didn't know how good Kyle Wright was. This is a different conversation after a, a few cocktails, I think, just from uh, <laughs> thinking about the universe and, and our existence and all these things. Yeah. But the reason why I think Kyle Wright would be eligible for something like this, as opposed to Spencer Strider, is because you're talking about someone who's been up and down a few times, someone mm -hmm. who is a candidate to fill in in the rotation or in the bullpen in years past. Spencer Strider just wasn't ready until the end of last season. Manoa wasn't ready time-wise until early last season. So there there was no opportunity previously. When we previously saw Kyle Wright in the big leagues, he wasn't missing a ton of bats, he wasn't throwing strikes, and he had a home run problem. Like none of the skills looked good. Nothing worked, and then he did make all those changes and that has put him in this position to be a very valuable member of that Atlanta rotation. He's more or less the pitcher that on paper many people were expecting Ian Anderson to be coming into the season. He just took that spot. Um, that counts for sure because he Kyle Wright looked like a potentially failed first round pick, fifth overall pick in 2017, who was a replacement level guy who was going to be up and down, up and down eventually in the bullpen. And that was probably going to be it. And now he looks like a consistent mid rotation guy. So 100 percent. He counts. He's eligible. I think it's it's good. We're defining what these awards should be because then we can actually put the hardware out there and award it in a future week. Um, I was wondering too, is Jose Quintana eligible for this as, as a late season renaissance? Second, Does that count? Second in war adding with a minimum of 100 <laughs> innings pitched. Where did that come from? I kind of think that has a case because to my knowledge, it wasn't a major injury that wiped him out last year. He just looked like he was done. And then mm -hmm. the Pirates bring him in. I thought, oh man, the Pirates are just going to use this guy to eat innings. It's going to be really sad. No, the Cardinals traded for him, and then he's pitched well in St. Louis, too. So, I mean, I think a player like that probably fits into this conversation, too. Yeah, I think I've just, I'd give a little bit of an eye for sustainability. Because you want to say, if you want to say most improved, you want to think that they have ascended to a new level that they will continue to be at. Whereas I think maybe Quintana maybe takes a step back next year just because of aging. You know, it's just, it's just, he's an older guy. So I think my ballot would look something like Wright, Stripling, Jeffrey Springs. Um, you know, I think that would be uh, my, my top three on the pitching side. 
Yeah, you kind of got to go pitcher and hitter separately, and you could probably even separate it by league if you really wanted to get that deep. Again, once we have the official hardware. What what are these young hitters that have established new levels? Because that that's not uh, as actually as easy. I, I, there's when I'm looking at the 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 uh, improvers, I think a lot of these are veterans that were just kind of hurt last year. Um, I'll, I'll throw out some names of young guys that might have ascended to a new level. Maybe we've, we're seeing a new level. Uh, Christian Walker. Uh, he's a little old too, but he fits more into what Caitlin was describing with Bautista where he didn't get a chance until he was 28. So he's kind of proving that what he did that first year when he got the opportunity is real because he's been even better with the underlying numbers this year. Jerickson Profar was not hurt last year. He's just changed his approach. He doesn't chase as much. He's, he's he's found a little bit of that power that was missing, but is it sustainable? I, I don't know. Um, uh, what's he going to look like next year? But I think Profar, you know, deserves to be mentioned in, the, in this context. Jordan Alvarez is up uh, 2.7 wins. Is that just like Judge? Is that just like a great player getting better? It's a little bit like Judge. And I, I keep saying this on the fantasy shows, but I'll, I'll put it out here too just to create more receipts. Uh, I, I think Jordan Alvarez is the hitter in the league most capable of having an Aaron Judge power spike like i think if, mm. if we're talking about someone who could pop 50 like who plus could hit next a, who year could win a triple crown the, the 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 list is very short i think it's like judge yep. alvarez uh i don't think Betts has the power anymore maybe a, a manny machado like a, a peak manny machado year paul goldschmidt i think yeah. vladdy could do it vladdy, vladdy, i think vladdy, yep, list, yep. Yeah. vladdy could still do it close last year for a while there yeah yeah i think that's the type of player jordan alvarez is so we've reached that point where it's like improve i mean sure i guess anything's possible but when he does it we're just gonna be like well he won the mvp and maybe he got the triple crown that year too so uh, it doesn't doesn't fit into this conversation even though it does deserve a mention i didn't realize how close aaron judge was to the triple crown this year yeah he's got it right now (laughs) yeah i guess i didn't realize how high his average was i obviously didn't expect it it because of the strikeouts yeah yeah but i was like oh he's actually has a really high average here's my name for 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 like a kyle wright this is my Kyle Wright, Ian Happ. Yes, I, I had mm. I had Happ. I had him on the on the. I scribbled a bunch of names on the rundown <laughs> or typed them furiously like Kermit. He's had health issues in the past and had had a hard time staying on the field. But I also think that he's established a new level of play. Yeah, I think with Happ, it, it it's another example of a player changing his approach and doing it for the better. Because Ian Happ's biggest flaw, I think, as an offensive player, has always been. Strikeouts, 29.1% K rate. He's at 23.9% this year. He still draws walks. He has power. He's still getting the power consistently, even though the barrel rate's down right now. This is a better version of Ian Happ, even though there are, it's like a different path to being a, a more valuable player than the one he was previously on. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's had some seasons where in 100 or 200 plate appearances, he had a similar uh, production in terms of WRC plus or OPS plus or whatever. But those were also 100 to 200 inning uh, plate appearance seasons where, you, like, we still have that. It's like kind of the Kyle right up and down. Like, we don't, we didn't know if he was that good. You know, what if he'd had another 300 plate appearances and and sucked for those? You know, it's true, very true. So a good group of names, official hardware, of course, will come out in October. But I felt like we had to make a a case for this to be an award that we care about, even if it doesn't and exist in real life. Comeback. Yes, I like I like yeah. that because I, the comeback is almost always a guy that was injured before, yes. or like had to miss the season for reasons or whatever. Yeah, yeah you're overcoming adversity on the health mm-hmm. front. You know, I think that's a that's a good way to, to kind of keep players on on that side for, in that particular award. We are going to go on our way out the door. A few things you can give us follows on Twitter. Follow Caitlin at Caitlin C McGrath. You need the C. Yeah. I think I've tagged you once in a tweet. And is the other Caitlin McGrath or one of the other Caitlin McGraths like a, a prominent meteorologist or something? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I sometimes, sometimes get weather tweets. Yeah. The, <laughs> she the, probably gets. Who told me it was going to rain today? You're the worst. <laughs> yeah. And people are yelling about, you know, I don't know. Vlad not hitting enough to her. Oh. Like, I'm just a weather girl. <laughs> the worst one of all has to be Mark Zuckerman, the Nationals writer for Masson, because he gets all the tweets directed at Mark Zuckerberg. Oh. 
shares many of them. So yeah, so Caitlin C. McGrath on Twitter, Eno's at Eno Saris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. If you got a question for a future episode, send it to the Rates and Barrels email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. Just let us know that it's for the 3.0 show. We're happy to answer that. And if you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for a dollar a month for the first six months. Great time to get in before the playoffs. Theathletic.com slash baseball show will bring you to that offer. That's going to do it for this episode of The Athletic Baseball Show. We are back with you on Friday. You've always got the green light here. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.